0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
1: Tonight on Revolt Black News Weekly. Brittany Griner back home. As the debate around her release builds, so does the social media machine of misinformation about the Russian prison swap. Then... The purge law in the spotlight, the pending legislation that could have the state of Illinois and the rest of the country on edge. Plus...
2: I started to realize, like, wow, we're really being depicted as negative.
1: The
3: push to support HBCUs, from those on the front lines and determined to help black students control their destiny. And the Kennedy Chronicles hits the red carpet in
1: Atlanta for the I Wanna Dance With Somebody premiere.
4: It means a lot to me. I love her.
1: Then we take on black mental health, having the conversation that some in the culture are just beginning to have. All of this tonight as the black news revolution starts right now. Hello everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Rochelle Richie. We begin with tonight's top story.
4: Good morning, we have breaking news. Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner. Brittany Griner is headed home.
1: One week ago today, the Bring Brittany Home movement had an unexpected, yet happy ending.
5: What's your mood? Uh, Happy. Happy. (laughs)
1: But before Brittany could step foot on U.S. soil, the celebratory nature of her return would begin to shift to the dynamics of the man she was swapped
0: for. Fox News can confirm that 32-year-old WNBA star Brittany Griner has been freed in a prisoner swap for Victor Bout.
2: Why did we do a one-for-one for, one for a basketball player?
5: Is that the best bang for the buck that...
1: The debate on Griner's release extended to many black-centered media outlets, like this post from Hollywood Unlocked.
4: You gave a f- spy up for a that's f- a basketball player. They knew what the f- she was doing.
1: And while some thoughtful questions regarding Britney's return have been highlighted, Britney's release begs the question, is social media providing a place for thoughtful conversations or is it becoming a gathering place for misinformation? We spoke to some college students to get the pulse of the situation from a Gen Z perspective. As many people are happy that she's back, there are a lot of people who aren't, especially because they left the
3: Marine, I guess, over there. Um, A lot of people have a lot to say about that. I don't agree with the fact that they should have traded her for a Russian arms dealer. I don't think that was a fair trade, Um, especially because he's a Russian arms dealer. I
1: feel like that could cause problems with the U.S. But when asked about the trade deal that took place earlier this year when Konstantin Yaroshenko, a Russian pilot and convicted drug smuggler, was swapped for former U.S. Marine Trevor Reed, there aren't as many strong opinions. No, I'm not aware of
3: any other trades.
1: And outside of Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, there was little to no chatter about the other American citizens being detained in Russia. In fact, Sarah Krivenek arrived back home just days after Brittany. So we asked, where does Gen Z get their news from?
3: I honestly get my news from Instagram <laughs> from Instagram for the most part I feel like the news is like the actual news is kind of depressing a little bit so I don't too much watch it like that so more than likely social media I usually get my news from either social media or um yeah usually social media a lot of times the shade room most times the shade room that's about it. <laughs>
1: A recent study found that 71% of Gen Z get their news from social media platforms at least daily, while 91% do so weekly. And then there are the comments. A 2020 survey found that 18 to 60-year-olds were so influenced by the comments that they often echoed those opinions themselves.
6: So I feel like social media has played the biggest part in this because without social media even waking it up, I don't think it would have been as important for Biden to have the pressure to even, you know, initiate the release.
2: We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. Okay. Here are the facts. Okay.
1: And while everyone has an opinion, even social media has self-proclaimed fact checkers when it comes to the Griner-Whelan debate.
2: Marine dishonorably discharged not a marine anymore american citizen he's got four passports who the knows what he considers to be his home country
1: no matter where you find yourself in the ongoing debate on britney's return home or any issue as we move closer to the 2024 elections do your research
2: in conclusion your mama we bring people home that's what we do
1: Moving on to another story that's been trending all across social media.
4: Black history is about monumental moments and movements that serve as catalysts for change. Today is both. Last February,
1: Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker signed a historic and controversial criminal justice reform bill called the Safe Tea
5: Act. One that remarks a transformative step forward. In Illinois' effort to lead the country in dismantling systemic racism.
1: And while some celebrated the new bill as a victory for criminal justice reform, others have found fault with one of the provisions. You hear that word frequently. What does it mean? Pictured in your mind's eye. Dystopia is a world where the police will not protect you. They refuse. The provision within the Safety Act that has caused so much controversy is called the Pretrial Fairness Act, which would
4: end cash bail. If I needed $500 to get out of jail today, I would be sitting there because I don't have that kind of money. Over 250,000 people a year in the state of Illinois are being held pretrial and are being held there because they don't have the money to bond out. And and the percentage of those people that are black and brown is typically around 90-ish percent.
1: The most vicious antisocial people, the ones who truly don't care about others, who are willing to kill people for their shoes or their car. The worst people. The Safety Act of Illinois stands for safety, accountability, fairness, and equity today. So The reason they're doing this is because they didn't like the
2: demographic breakdown of the people who are getting arrested for crimes.
1: The conversation surrounding this bill has been so politically and racially charged that TikTok influencers have joined the discussion. Listen to me, it cannot be understated how significant of a
4: role the media plays in quashing progressive movements and keeping more black people in jail. Cook County Jail is the
1: pretrial detention center in Chicago, Illinois, meaning The people incarcerated at Cook County Jail have not been convicted of a crime. They simply just don't have the money for bail. And that's an important point people need to understand about bail. Bail is not about public safety. Bail is about whether or not you can
4: afford your freedom. So under the current system, wealthy people get released while poor people do not, while being accused with the same offenses. The cash bail system also in turn disproportionately affects black and brown people, people without resources, people without the same amount of resources as wealthy individuals. So when you all call this a purge law, you are contributing to the detriment of poor people, of black people, of brown people, of communities of color. So the next time that you are about to engage in this rhetoric,
6: I urge you, reconsider.
1: Now to the headlines beyond our borders as we go black all over the world. We arrive first in Qatar. It's official, an African breakthrough. Morocco are World Cup semi-finalists. Countdown to the World Cup finals with many celebrating Morocco's advancement to the semi-finals where they faced off with France. This is the first time an African soccer team has advanced to this level in the World Cup series but the diaspora has dominated the sport. Social media users pointing out how many of the European teams are stacked with African players. Africa comes to Washington, D.C. as the U.S. Africa Summit kicked off this week, hosted by President Joe Biden as leaders from across the continent hit the beltway.
2: We, Africa, we need uh, energy, we need infrastructure, we need financing, and uh, we need good health to develop Africa. The diaspora also contributes to Africa. A Brookings study estimates the diaspora last year contributed $46 billion in remittances to Africa.
1: President Barack Obama hosted the last African U.S. Summit in 2014. Eight years later, the mission is to bridge the gap and increase intercontinental relations. Africa is on track to boost its economic wealth by 2050.
2: Working closely with Congress, the U.S. will commit $55 billion to Africa over the course of the next three years across a wide range of sectors to tackle the core challenges of our time.
1: Over the course of the meeting, dignitaries as well as celebrities like Idris Elba underscored how...
0: Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff?
1: how important the continent is to the world
0: if you do not consider africa as a viable investment you're not considering yourselves or your future
1: Next, we head to Ethiopia. The two-year deadly civil war between the Tigrayan forces appears to have settled down. A peace treaty was signed between the government of Ethiopia and the Tigray People's Liberation Front. Both parties agreed to a permanent cessation of hostilities to end the Tigray War. Many have already left the country due to the dangerous and volatile climate. There are now concerns about the safety of migrants. 27 Ethiopian migrants, men and women, were found dead near Zambia, highlighting the need to protect those escaping and traveling along the Horn of Africa. We'll be right back.
3: In recent years, black students are choosing to attend historically black colleges and universities for a safe learning environment. Despite the increase in attendance, HBCUs are still suffering from disparities, resources, funding, and opportunities. Raising awareness of this problem is key. Entrepreneur and HBCU advocate, Luke Law Jr. is shining a spotlight on HBCUs with HBCU Buzz.
2: My name is Luke LaWall Jr. I'm the CEO and founder of HBCU Buzz. I am a representative of my ancestors' dreams, and I attended Bowie State University.
3: Describe your experience attending an HBCU.
2: Whew. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, I couldn't even start to begin from, like, freshman year all the way up to graduating, walking on stage. I mean, some of the most uh, memorable moments is pledging the greatest fraternity on the planet, Omega <laughs> Sci-Fi Fraternity Incorporated, um, meeting my line brothers and, you know, marching through some of the yards on campuses and um, networking with all the different HBCU students from Howard all the way down to FAMU and, you know, Morehouse in Atlanta. Um, But to sum it up, I would just say just meeting my family.
3: So Luke, tell me how you started HBCU Buzz.
2: So I was in my dorm room, and I brought a bunch of my friends with me. And I got diverse opinions about the name, and then we launched the blog site. In 2010, mainstream media portrayed HBCUs as negative. Mm. One of the things I would always see is, I would always see HBCUs in the mainstream media whenever someone was embezzling on campus Mm. or someone died on campus. So I started HBCU Buzz to erase that stigma. So I attended this leadership conference, it's called NASAP. Um, where they bring all the uh, SGA presidents and kings and queens to like one leadership conference for the weekend and that was my first exposure to some of the other HBCU students Mm -hmm. and I met the SGA president from FAMU and that was my first time even hearing of FAMU. Um, I think I was a sophomore in college at the time and I once I started networking with them he invited me to their campus. Mm When I got to their campus, I was just so shocked at how they ran their campus. Like, they had offices, um, their student body was really in control of what actually happened on campus. They Mm -hmm. ran like a real, like, governing body. And then when I got back to Bowie, obviously we started to mimic some of those practices. And then I realized that they had so many great initiatives that were changing the world that we never even knew about. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to pay more attention to how HBCUs were a in the media and then I started to realize like wow we're really being depleted as negative mm-hmm. and then that's when I created HBC buzz
3: talk to me a little more about the stigmas that surround HBCUs we often hear that you know it's not the real world <laughs> and you're not getting a, yeah. a real education <laughs> you know some of those things that people who've attended HBCUs hear about all the time. Talk about, you know, creating the need to combat some of those stereotypes.
2: The one that I hate the most is, people ask me all the time, is HBC, are HBCUs still relevant? Mm -hmm. And then I'm just like, you know, That's the wrong question. The question should be, where will we be without HBCUs? If it wasn't for our forefathers that created some of those campuses, we weren't even, you know, able to congregate to be able to read and write and be able to educate ourselves at a higher level. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, when I think of all the wonderful people that came from our beloved institutions, I couldn't even imagine, you know, where we would be without these pillars of the black community and then you know i hear things like you know hbcus aren't aren't diverse that's a Mm -hmm. lie there's diversity amongst black people um i've learned more about the world through my african brothers and sisters that i met at some of these hbcu campuses and i think A lot of times people look at it and it's easier to label HBCUs as not diverse just because they assume that we're all the same and we're not.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's such a big point that I always try to drive home to people who have a limited scope of HBCUs that we're one of the most diverse spaces um, that house college students. So I love that you said that. When you started HBCU Buzz, it focused on one campus and now you've opened it up to all HBCU campuses. Talk to me about that growth.
2: Yeah, I mean, when I first started it, we were just on Twitter. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we started as like a shout out pages because Mm -hmm. one of the things that I noticed immediately is I didn't know how many HBCUs there were. Mm -hmm. You know, my mom went to Howard and my dad went to Bowie, but they were so like DMV focused. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've heard of like Morehouse and Spelman, but that Mm -hmm. was it. Um, But I started to realize how wonderful our institutions are. And then I just started to put some of those images out there.
3: Talk to me about how HBCU Buzz comes together with larger corporations to create initiatives for HBCU students.
2: We've partnered with over hundreds of companies trying to figure out how to intersect their brand in the HBCU space, but for me it's always been about pipeline. Trying to figure out ways we can bring more opportunities for students to work in some of these Fortune 500 companies. Mm -hmm. Um, And just finding different ways for students to even just collaborate and understand like, hey there's ways to partner with brands or there's opportunities that might not necessarily look like jobs, but Mm. might be like internships or programs or different collaborations or ways that students can become a vendor for some of these brands or companies. But as of recently, since, you know, the George Floyd incident, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of Fortune 500 companies have been interested in helping Mm HBCUs. So what we've been doing is trying to figure out ways we can create initiatives for brands to use their platform to uplift all the wonderful things that HBC students are doing. Now we're like, okay, instead of just donating to HBCUs, how about you use your platform to highlight the young girl that started a clothing line Mm -hmm. that might not necessarily get her brand into a store like Nike or Puma or Adidas and highlight her, showcase her work and her beauty, and that essentially will create a long-term pipeline for students and prospective HBCU students to come.
3: Tell me about some of the initiatives you helped start with HBCU Buzz.
2: So when I was an undergrad, um, I started a bunch of different campaigns. Um, one of the ones that I love the most is the HBCU Top 30 under 30. Mm-hmm. Um, we highlight 30 individuals from different HBCUs that are trailblazers killing it on all their respective campuses. And I've just loved to see how the list has grown and the dynamic leaders that everyone has become and it's it's been phenomenal. This past year, we partnered with Diageo to double down on that commitment.
3: Over the last few years, HBCU enrollment has increased, but that doesn't necessarily translate to actual funding and resources for our schools. What do you think needs to be done in that space, and how does HBCU Buzz play a role in that?
2: I think it's legislation um, mm. for the most part. I, I read an article today that um, North Carolina a t has increased their um, student enrollment but were penalized from the state. Um, I think it was like $2 million because mm. they increased their enrollment. Um, I think legislation has to change and we have to rethink the way we fund our HBCUs. You know, when I was an undergrad, um, I was a part of a, a coalition that sued the state for misappropriation of funds over, I want to say, decades, right? Wow. Um, we marched a lot, and, you know, we won. Mm-hmm. And I think Maryland is still paying out our four uh, Maryland HBCUs based mm-hmm. on that settlement. But... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac, or drop a crispy fry between the car seats, or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip.
4: It was just a really long drive.
2: at participating McDonald's. I mean, when I think of results, I think it has to start from a legislative standpoint, especially for our public HBCUs. And then I think it's about, you know, giving back. Um, No one's going to support us like us. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has to be the forefront of everything we do. And, you know, everyone has a small piece to the puzzle. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, it's showcasing all the things that come from our schools. But for you, it might be using your mic to tell the stories. For other people, it might be, you know, donating or passing on a torch or every industry um, leader trying to educate all the wonderful things that our HBCUs are doing. Right. So, you know, I think we all have a small piece to play, and as long as we're doing our part, we'll help our institutions.
3: For sure. So what's next for HBCU Buzz?
2: For now, we're going to get right on campus. Um, We want to do more experiential. I want to do more events. Um, We want to activate more on the campuses. Um, The new generation that's coming in within HBCUs are so diverse, so unique, and the class is so different. And I want to explore all the opportunities that they have to offer.
3: Yeah, well, we can't wait. Luke Law Jr., thank you for inspiring, encouraging, and supporting future and current HBCU students with your countless initiatives. State Farm continues to do their part partnering with 100 Black Men of America by providing funding for mentorship and professional development support. Much love to all the HBCUs.
6: What's your name again? Whitney Elizabeth Houston.
3: That is the trailer for the upcoming Whitney Houston biopic, I Wanna Dance With Somebody, which hits theaters this Christmas. Welcome back everyone. Atlanta rolled out the red carpet for the film's premiere, and I was there for all that action, and that's just one of the entertainment
6: headlines kicking off the remix. It was life-changing to be able to be mentored and loved and uplifted and talked to and encouraged by somebody that I grew up loving. By the age of 18, during one of the most difficult times of my life, that that is who would pull up and stay with me for days at a time, pray with me, talk with me, laugh with me, her sisters cooking for me, um, you know, because, at the time, she was still with Bob, and they were a real family. And so, understanding the depths of how she loved and who she loved and why makes it easy for me to always come out and support whenever the family calls me there's absolutely nothing that i wouldn't do for them and i don't participate in things that aren't through them yeah
3: absolutely and you talk about her impact being so profound on you personally talk to me about her impact on the culture what she means to the people what she means to all the people who her
6: music have touched well she helped a complete community to recognize that we belonged in places we had not yet been Mm -hmm. So I understood that coming from where I was from was not a limitation. It was the ability for me to be empowered and for me to say that I can do this. And she was that example. She was the example. She was the voice. And there has not been another. R&B star Monica hosted the special
3: Atlanta premiere of her late friend's biopic, Whitney Houston, I Want to Dance with Somebody. Woo! A decade after Whitney's tragic death, her remarkable rise to fame is finally making it to the big screen December 23rd. Tell me about the importance of this premiere being here
6: in Atlanta. You know what, Nip loved Atlanta, number one. I mean, she loved being here, she loved our food. So for it to be here and for her family to know that I'm born and raised here, but I'm always supporting her, the amount of years never changes the amount of love. So it's it's just very impactful for this to be done by the people that knew her best. So you'll get to see things in in a more positive and yet direct light, you know, because we're not pretending or being pretentious about who she was, Mm -hmm. but it's important that you see the truth. And that's why this is so important. My go-to Whitney song, You Give Good Love is the one that she liked for me to sing. So when Nip had me sing You Give Good Love, at one of her tributes, and then we talked about it a little bit later, it's one that I still sometimes do in the shows. And I just do it because it's she and I connecting in a different way. You know, I don't get to have her in the earthly being, but she's still my angel. When the Golden Globes return
3: to NBC January 10th, we'll be watching to see if Viola Davis and Angela Bassett both become two-time winners. Viola's tough-as-steel performance as the woman king looks to be gaining steam this award season. Could it lead her to her first win as Best Actress in a motion picture drama? Bassett's powerful presence in Black Panther Wakanda Forever may lead to a supporting victory, almost 20 years after winning the Golden Globe for playing icon Tina Turner. And Quinta Brunson continues to receive straight A's from critics for creating and starring in ABC's hit series, Abbott Elementary. Now she's up for best performance by an actress in a television series, musical, or comedy. Meanwhile, the Globe snub everyone seemed to notice, Will Smith's well-reviewed film, Emancipation. The thriller
4: was shut out.
6: I feel like we have finally reimagined and recreated, and it's an entirely new show than where it was. Repeat after me. I pledge allegiance to the queen boss bitch of
1: America.
3: The game scene stealer Wendy Raquel Robinson continues to own every scene she's in.
6: Tasha Mack gonna be all right. You best believe that. Yeah. Facts.
3: Wendy and co-star Josea Chanchez have seen the popular sports comedy move around quite a bit during its run. The new season premieres December 15th on Paramount Plus and continues to tackle important subjects many of our black athletes face.
0: Malik, how long can the players hold out?
2: Oh, as long as it takes. The players are united. It still gives us an opportunity to have fun and tell the story through an authentic lens. So I think it's everything that we maintain the authenticity of what these men are going through in this league and black men in general and women um, in the United States. I've been champagne making love in the rain.
3: And our chairman is adding to his hit list. Diddy doesn't hold anything back on his latest collaboration, Sex in the Porsche The superstar teamed up with singer-songwriter Party Next Door And the steamy track will be featured on Diddy's upcoming album And with great sadness, Revolt Black News remembers Stephen Boss Known to millions of fans as Twitch The acclaimed dancer, choreographer, and Ellen's lovable DJ and co-host died Tuesday, reportedly of a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The husband and father of three was only 40 years old.
1: Now to the cases that caught our attention this week, as we explore who's in the system. How are you feeling to today, Megan?
5: Moment. Great. Great.
1: Megan. Megan Thee Stallion arrives optimistic at a Los Angeles courtroom, dripped in purple, to take the stand against Tory Lanez.
2: We're here today to make sure that Megan feels seen, supported, and loved.
1: The hip-hop star supporters rallied outside the courtroom as she prepared to testify. Meg is receiving support from women's advocacy groups and violence prevention organizations that were out to voice their support for the savage hitmaker. Meg broke down what happened on the night she says Tori shot her in the foot, which he has denied. If found guilty, Tori faces more than 20 years behind bars. Next up, the Atatiana Jefferson trial continues in
4: Texas. Everyone, just please say Atatiana Jefferson's name, no matter what the jury comes back with.
1: Former Fort Worth, Texas police officer, Aaron Dean, has been found guilty of manslaughter for the shooting death of a Tatiana Jefferson. A family friend, Tammy Wilson, was persistent in demanding justice.
5: This jury
0: needs to hear from me and hear the truth.
1: It took jurors 13 hours to deliberate. Dean is accused of fatally shooting a Tatiana in 2019. Earlier this week, he took the stand in his defense, recalling the night he opened fire
0: put up your hands. Show me your hands. Show me your hands.
2: And as I started to get that second phrase out, show me your hands. I saw a silhouette. I was looking right down the barrel of a gun.
1: Ataziana was shot by Dean in her home as she went to investigate the noises police were making outside her window.
4: I ain't get her on, no weed. I ain't get her on no
1: And the harsh reality for YNW Melly, who is making a plea for help from behind bars in Florida. The rapper claims he is being beaten and harassed by jail staff and fears for his life.
3: You know I put it in the kidneys all.
1: YNW Melly has been in jail.
0: Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about.
1: since February 2019, when he was arrested and charged with killing his associates, YNW Juvie, a.k.a. Chris Thomas, and YNW Sack Chaser, a.k.a. Anthony Williams, in 2018. His trial date has been pushed back numerous times as attorneys haggle over details of the case. The rapper reportedly remains on visitation and other restrictions. And Gunna's plea deal. The Georgia rapper walked out of the Fulton County Jail after pleading guilty to a racketeering conspiracy charge. Authorities arrested him and fellow rapper Young Thug along with more than two dozen others earlier this year. Gunna's guilty plea does not necessarily mean he's admitting guilt.
5: Hey, everybody. Um, I, like the rest of the world, am shocked by the death of Stephen Boss, Twitch. And it prompted me to come on to talk to any of you who are going through um, hard times, struggling. I've didn't. i I've only met him a couple of times. He was always full of life and seemed like such a light. But with that said, I just want to take you back to a time in my life where I tried to commit suicide a couple of times um, because it was so dark. I didn't think it would get any better. I had endured so much pain, so much abuse, sexual abuse. It it, it was all so hard to just move through that I thought the only way to make this better, this pain go away, is to end my life. Had any of those attempts happened, I would have missed the best part of my life. I know you may be going through some things. I know you may seem like there is no hope. Ask for help if you are dealing with anything, anything that that is emotionally... Uh, taking you to a place where you think you want to end your life.
3: That is just some of the social media reaction to the news of the shocking death of the beloved DJ Twitch, which now has been ruled a suicide. Welcome back. Time to turn our attention to our Stand Up For series as we address the issue of Black mental health.
4: I'm Yasmin Cheyenne. I'm from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm a self-healing educator and author that teaches people how to create practices that help them live better lives. When I was 19 years old, I joined the United States Air Force and served on active duty for five years. And during that time, I had the opportunity to serve as a victim advocate. And I supported people who had been victims of domestic violence, sexual abuse. And that's what really sparked the mental health journey for myself and the work that I do today. A mental health advocate helps bring awareness to the idea that there is no shame and needing mental health support that talking about it creates more availability and accessibility for people who may not recognize that they need it. And it also creates space for people to really begin to have these conversations in their communities. Because until we start talking about it the way we do today, people would keep their mental health journeys private for fear of being ostracized or um, not being accepted the majority of my clients come to me and say, this is what's happening in my relationship. This is what's happening in my job. Can you help me fix this? Then through having the discussion with them, when I hear that they're overworking, when I hear that they're overgiving, when I hear that there's no reciprocity in their relationships, when I hear that they are struggling to go to sleep at night, that's when we begin to learn, oh, you may be experiencing anxiety, or you may be experiencing overwhelm because you don't have any time for yourself. And so I think the majority of people know what the pain points are in their lives, but have no idea how it's impacting them. I think the number one step that people can take to take charge of their mental health is being honest with themselves. Because I think so often we think, I need to suffer through. Um, I can push through. Maybe next year it'll be better. Maybe I need to be honest with myself and admit what's not working here. And I think that's usually a really healthy, helpful, tough, but necessary starting point. I love to start incredibly small when it comes to cultivating mental health or wellness practices to help give you the life that you need. And so my favorite thing to suggest is creating a joy list. Very simple. You can do it on your phone in the notes section and just write down like 10 things that bring you joy. And it can be as simple as turning on music, dancing to Beyonce, you know, you could be gardening, you could be, you know, rearranging your closet. But the important thing is, is recognizing that life won't always be the way we want it to be. There will be ups and downs. There will be tough parts but we do have control over how much joy we bring into our lives. And y'all, the Sugar Jar Community app, a labor of love that I created to help you be able to dive deeply into your own self-healing journey. I created the Sugar Jar Community app because I wanted a place where people could come, one, that was accessible, and two, that people could come that wasn't on social media that allowed them to dive into their healing work. The freedom we're looking for in our lives starts with being honest with ourselves. So these audio workshops and video workshops create space for people to not just look at my posts, but to actually do the work of asking themselves these really tough questions that help to create the abundance and freedom that we're seeking in our lives. Creating space to take care of yourself is something that we really should be encouraging ourselves to learn early on, as opposed to the rat race, right? And so I would encourage a Gen Z or a millennial or anyone of any age who's finally recognizing, look, I cannot do this anymore, but also ask yourself, how can I stop saying yes to just one thing that is not serving me? And how can I just give myself permission to set one boundary this week? Boundaries is the thing that ensures that people know how to treat us, but it also is the thing that teaches us how to treat ourselves.
1: We close things out by shining a spotlight on the black renegades, making a difference to the culture as we roll out our revolutionary of the week. Including two real estate wizards who are taking the each one teach one approach to help black communities close the wealth gap when it comes to home and property ownership. Meet the duo of Oasis.
2: We grew up together. Been business partners about 15 years. He runs a successful security transportation, business that I partner with them, but he runs it. I have a production company, but at a certain point, we wanted to get into real estate. I grew up predominantly in LA, had
0: a lot of family in Chicago, but never had looked into the real estate. At that time, the MLS, looking at the different opportunities and seeing properties for 20,000, 30,000, it really blew me away. Cause, but in LA, you know, a home, average home is three hundred, four hundred thousand 400,000 at that time. Now you're talking five, six, seven hundred thousand. So 700,000. I was impressed by the opportunity to come in at such a low price point. And then things just started clicking as the journey began. So, bought that property, came in, renovated it uh, for around 70 some thousand, and it ended up being worth Mm 210,000. So, right off the bat, you know, saw the equity. And then, what really kind of sealed the deal for us wanting to continue that process was when we decided to start leasing the property to tenants and seeing these black families with all these black children um, you know in tears because they're not accustomed to one having a, a landlord that looked like them that cares about what they dealt with that may have had similar experiences growing up but two um that's giving them a really beautiful home to live in you know when you look at the larger uh, rental companies that exist in the south side of chicago which is a very dominant renters market um, most of them don't come from our communities. They're not even from our country. They're in China, mm-hmm. they're in Poland, they're yeah. in... These are the places that know that there's great investment opportunity there. So that, that first piece, um, it, it became a, 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 an obsession, an addiction, you know what I mean? It was like, you know, ended up where we are now to where we have uh, over 60 units um, in the Chicago area, 60 plus units, and another 20 plus in development. Uh, and the build program kind of came about organically because as we began to scale the business and have more units, we needed more people. Um, so we had partnered uh, with Genesis Construction um, Trade School, who is a black-owned trade school and black-owned construction company. And so he already had the system in place to certify um, young men. So we were like, hey, why don't we look at taking some of the young men from the community, housing them somewhere that we live so we can change the environment. So. It's a beautiful program that's designed to take young men um, out of impoverished uh, situations, out of you know, economically deprived situations, and give them tangible skill sets that they can apply in real life while they're simultaneously learning the business aspects. So the first group of graduates, uh, we showed them how to start their own LLC that they 100% own. Um, they each have their equal percentage of ownership. And throughout the process, we've been saving and accruing money for them. And now they're going and doing their own acquisition. And they'll be completing their own renovation. And they're walking into ownership at 18 and 19 years old. Just things that we wish someone would have been able to give or teach us. Uh, we're just doing it. And, and you know, it, it doesn't stop there. Any thought um, that God gives us that we would wish that we would have had the opportunity to do or have or receive from someone, we try to give it to our younger brothers, you know. And as long as companies
2: like Revolt and other great companies are continuing to promote this culture of life and not death, that's the way we do it. It can't really be just us, me and Fahim, uh, single-handedly. It's going to take a whole uh, movement. And that's, thank goodness, that's what's happening.
1: Well, shout out and major props for the work being done. That does it for us. We'll see you next time. Bye.